The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hi and welcome to 442 Insider, where we take you behind the scenes at Australia's top football publication. This week we've been working harder than Michael Jackson's Embalma, covering news on Socceroos, Hyundai A-League and international football. I'm Editor-in-Chief Paul Hansford. This week I'm joined by publisher Andy Jackson, Deputy Editor Trevor Trahan and online writer Aidan Orman to discuss all the news of the week. Let's start with the Australian team rising up the FIFA charts. Lads, they're up to number 16. Nosebleed section. Absolutely. Uh, top 20. All of a sudden, I think they're the most important way of judging teams. <laughs> I mean, what, what does it matter, though, really? Does it, it, does it affect the seeding at the World Cup? Does it, don't they go by a completely different system to yeah. judge the seeds? I think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so really it's a bit of fluff, but right now it's a nice bit of fluff and highest position ever. And People on our forums were discussing, saying that it's based over a four-year period, is that right, the, the rankings? But they seem to move so much it feels like it's based on just the last couple of months more than what's happened over the last four years. Well, Italy still get a lot of points for obviously what they did in the, in the World Cup. Mm. But yeah, I think it is a four-year process so you just gain points as you go I mean the, the, the interesting thing that I notice when you look at the list at first you kind of go wow that's really high for, for the Socceroos and when you consider that the second best team in Asia who qualified ahead of us in the World Cup Japan they're at 40 and there seems to be a big disparity between that when you consider they played as quite tight but when you look at the list, when you actually go down the list and look at teams below Australia at 16, I could pick maybe three teams that would give us, a, give us some trouble. But other than that, there aren't that many teams there that you wouldn't back us to beat. I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd look at, obviously, Portugal, Czech Republic. Yeah, Ivory Coast, Uruguay, Czech Republic. Turkey. Turkey, definitely. Well. I think they're pretty low. Yeah. Um, Nigeria, Ghana. Republic mm-hmm. of Ireland, we'll find out pretty soon whether they're 37 versus 16. You know, Japan, we know are tough. Egypt, mm. you know, African Cup of Nations holders. Gabon at the 30, great <laughs> yeah. for the... Uh, Gabon, how did Gabon get to The 30? Gabonish people, they must be up in arms, you know, very <laughs> happy about that. I think for that. the FFA, it's terrific that they can sell their national team to corporate sponsors as the 16th best in the world. Absolutely. So yeah. they'll, they'll make hay when the sun rises and, yeah. and, and, and before they go back down to 30 again or whatever, however else it works. Yeah, it'll also help in terms of lining up friendlies in, in the lead up to the World Cup. The higher their position, the more obviously appealing the Socceroos are as opponents. Um, so it's the more likely good teams would be willing to travel out here um, because it, you know it, it's good for their exposure as well. So uh, it's great. I'm not sure how much and I'm just, how much I'm, weight I put behind it, but. No, uh, it's also good for the World Cup bit as well that we're uh, you know slowly moving up the uh, the world rankings. Yeah, certainly. I mean that that's uh, that's probably the, the the biggest aspect to this is obviously it's all happening at the right time for um for the World Cup bid. You know, if the perception within the FIFA executive committee is that Australia is a is a rising football nation, then that can only be good for the World Cup bid. Yeah. Hmm. We're moving on to uh, one of the big stories of the week that broke um, on Monday. Or Sunday, actually. Uh, Sunday with, afternoon, with, Paul. Uh, sorry, uh, Aidan. I was having my afternoon cup of tea. Don't mean to unscoop you there, Aidan. Um, so go on, tell us, tell us what it is. You, you lead in. 
Well, um, there'd been, I'd, I'd received a call from a, a contact of mine, Continental Bob. Hello, Continental. It's good Continental Bob. And Does he uh, work for a food company? So, <laughs> like sauces. A food or a tyre company. Yeah. And uh, a big shout out to Continental if you're listening. Um, Sunday afternoon, look, we, we'd heard a, a rumour that he'd uh, applied for the Western Sydney job. Gary Van Egmond. One of yep. the Western Sydney uh, bids. Uh, that was confirmed. And within an hour or so, it was also confirmed that he was leaving the Jets. So we got the story up pretty much as it broke. Um, and uh, from what we can gather, if he's been going for another job, then you can pretty much assume that he wasn't happy staying at Newcastle. And in hindsight, it looks like the, the move to bring in Branko Kalina as a technical director, whatever that means, has been probably one of the smartest moves Con's done because uh, it means that they've had a fairly seamless shift into a, the new guy. Yeah. yeah. Albeit it seemed that, that Branko was a little hesitant initially as to whether he wanted to sort of jump back into the, to the hot seat given his experience at Sydney. Uh, I think he wanted. I think he wants to coach, and yeah. I think he said that that was his public yeah. stance, and he was leaving the town anyway. Look, he loves coaching. Um, I think he's, it was, it's probably more of a, a stable job to be a technical director because I don't think anyone. I think Trevor was saying the other day, no one quite knows what a technical director. Well, like does. a director of football, so these guys yeah. sort of knocking around that you know have a good name, but I don't think even they know really yeah. what they do. But for I think the stability in that position, whereas when you're in the dugout. You know, particularly at Newcastle, where I think it's now their fourth manager in four years, Richard Money, Nick mm-hmm. Theodopoulos, Gary Van Egmon, and now Branko Kalina. So, yeah. um, I think it'll, it's good for the Newcastle. I think Branko will always play a good brand of football. And it's good to see Branko coaching against his son this season. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, there were some crazy rumours going around just before uh, Newcastle made their announcement on Monday. There was a couple. One was that uh, Con Constantine was going to actually hand back his licence. Another one was that um, Colombian football legend Carlos Valderrama, whose who's hair rivals yours, Aidan, today, Thank you for um, <laughs> was going to come back and coach. And there was le- said to be legitimate interests is there any credence to those rumours at uh, all? I can't tell you whether the agent was spoken to, but um, uh, I think when it comes to the rumours of the coaching position, I, th- I think I think it was always going to be Branco. I think it was a logical choice, and they needed it done quickly. I think the, the, the interesting subplot to this, or, or well, it, it was a subplot that almost became the main plot, was, was the FFA's role in, in this and who approached who. Um, because certainly, you know, personally, I felt a, a degree of sympathy for Con's line that he took. Because if he wants to go and approach a manager of a, of a, of a club, he has to ask permission to speak to them or whatever. But I think the issue here is, is that the AIS position was, was on, a, on the FFA website inviting applications. And from what I understand, Gary Vinkman applied independently. However, you know, do the FFA then as the the guardian of the game and obviously we're in a different situation here as well in that obviously the clubs are franchises that ultimately the FFA own so did the FFA have a duty to to let Con know that hey your coach has applied for this position you know and, and you know six weeks out from the season what are we going to do about this you know and, and so I think the role you know the FFA have certainly distanced themselves from that and said that Gary Van Egmond applied for the position but the interesting angle to this is that the FFA are now topping up his salary 
to you know and so and he is going to be involved in the national setup so certainly if you look at the way that, that, that the English FA for instance when they were appointing an English manager like Steve McLean who's in situ they will go to the club first and say hey we want your manager as the next England manager and they'll agree terms and and, and the, the period of time in which that handover will take place so I, I did have a certain amount of sympathy for Con in this because you know he's been left with five weeks to start the season without a manager and, and as you say yeah, he's lucky that he has got someone there ready to step in. Yeah. I think also that, that press release that they sent out on the day mentioned the future of the club. And I yeah. think a lot of us were speculating that Con was going to uh, do something pretty drastic. It was strange wording, wasn't it? It was. At because, two o'clock, there's yeah. going to be a major announcement about the future of the club. Yeah. So I mean, that's the future of the coaching the club has. But when, mm. it, when it said that, that's what alarm bells rang. And finally, uh, what, what do we think of the move for Van Egmon? Uh, good, good for his career? I mean, he was a rising star when he, when he took Newcastle from the from the bottom up to the top and uh, it's been a bit shaky for him last season uh, it takes the pressure off you as a coach I mean I'm not saying there's not pressure working you know at AIS but in terms of being in the spotlight an A-League club especially one that finished last and you know just got thrashed out of the uh, Asian Champions League that's certainly an easier role if you like for him to take up mm, 200 grand a year for four years less pressure more chance of moving into the national setup. I think it's a pretty much and good for Australian there. football, really, isn't it? To have someone of yeah. uh, his experience. I think as the game develops and and we become more of a of a football nation at every level, then I think you need to also have coaches that are experts at every level, and the ability of a coach to develop players at. 13, 14, 15 and 16 is completely different to the abilities needed as a coach of a senior side and the need to get results week in, week out at A-League or Premier League or La Liga level. So it's important that coaches are found with the abilities to coach at every level and no doubt about it, developing people at that, players at that level where Van Egmond is moving into is, is a specialist area. Um, and it's much less about man management and much more about technique development and, and you know getting the players up their level of technical ability up rather than just you know keeping them and getting them playing as a cohesive unit. So I, I think it's a good move. I think it, it, it validates that process through the AIS that, that a current A League manager would see that as a as a step forward. Except he has to live in Canberra. <laughs> You're doing well, Aidan, today. Thank you. <laughs> You're making friends, aren't you? Well, look, it's time for a break now. Thanks a lot for that, guys. But make sure you stay with us. As up next, we pick out our Socceroos starting 11, just a year out from the World Cup, and look at the A-League coaching hot seat. We'll see you soon. Goldrick Farrell solicitors are here to help all sporting people, whether individuals, clubs or corporates, right across every code of sport in Australia and around the world. Goldrick Farrell solicitors offer professional advice from their lawyers and sports consultants. Whether it's negotiating or renewing contracts or securing the best arrangements for your personal, business or property interests. Goldrick Farrell Milan solicitors have the team for you. Contact partner Barry Milan now on 02-92-67-73-11 or visit www.gfm.com.au Looking for someone to bet with? Come to Betfair.com. Betfair punters bet against each other. Yep, yep, yep. Uh-huh. To get better odds yeah. and bigger yeah. wins. So join the world's biggest online betting community betfair.com betting as it should be promotional code prt triple eight i just don't know what's wrong with some tradies today look at the vehicles they drive more show than anything and certainly not tough 
I reckon some tradies have even gone soft. For real, fair income tough tradies, there's only one choice, Mahindra. Mahindra's range of 4x2 and 4x4 workhorse pickups and cab chassis know how to get the job done. And they won't cost an arm and a leg, starting at 19990 drive away. Visit your local dealer for a test drive today or visit mahindrapickup.com.au. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Welcome back to 442 Insider, and uh, we've got a few more news stories to look at before we go into our hilarious, in inverted commas, funny section, because obviously Trevor's working on that. That's why the inverted commas are there. But first of all, uh, we're going to look at Lucas Neal. Trevor's yes. West Ham captain. Yeah, I mean, I and think your we, best mate. We're pretty close. Yeah, I think you can you can pretty much accept it. You know, he's left West Ham. He's going to leave West Ham. Um, and an obvious link is Galatasaray for for a few reasons. Really, I mean, obviously Harry being there, Harry selling, Harry living with his physio, probably looking for a new flatmate as well. Um, and like three men and a baby, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> wicked little flat with like <laughs> basketball hoop and pinball. And- Sign Michael Owen, and he could be the little baby, couldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, I think money. You know, don't want to criticise Lucas here, but you know he likes to make sure he's got got a payday. And when we did the rich list before, we were saying about how much money Harry's on at Galatasaray, and he didn't really lose much from those you know high Liverpool wages he's yeah. on. So Lucas will certainly get paid well in Turkey. In terms of the pace of the game, again, he's not the quickest of players, and you know the Turkish league isn't the quickest of leagues either. So I think he'd suit the style of play. So all in all, if if it does happen, it, it's a deal that makes sense. Does it seem like a good move for Lucas, like ahead of a World Cup year playing over it? It hasn't seemed to harm Harry at all, has it? No, and it's good for Asia as well. Obviously, when we play in Asia, to have players in Turkey. But it's interesting that uh, the Aussies now, how many is this, five or six Aussies now, if Lucas joined Gala? Mm. It's becoming a real enclave now uh, with Jitte, Troisi, Jednak, Harry, Pekovic and uh, possibly Neil I think as well you know it, this is a common sort of criticism how can anyone be worth whatever wage it is they're getting but generally you know players are only worth what clubs are willing to pay them and the more Aussies that are playing in Turkey and the more they're doing well and Galatasaray would have seen you know Harry Kuehl get fit probably the fears that they had about his injuries have been completely dispelled you know he's, he's barely missed a game for them he's been fit he's scored goals he's proved to be flexible he's played all over the park so therefore you know another Australian player going mm. to Galatasaray the, the worth that they were placed on that is probably you know probably more than than some Premier League clubs would place on it so again it's all about how how valued a particular club or what value a particular club wants to put on a player personally for me I still think Lucas Neal's probably got a role to play in a Premier League team um, whether he would be willing to go to a team that's just come up um, would, would be you know what the question that he'd look to answer but I'd, I would like to see him spend another year or so in the Premier League maybe one or two seasons I'd certainly like to feel that the mainstay of the Socceroos defence in the next World Cup has just played a, a, a good long season in the mm. Premier League mm. against the best strikers in the world or some of the best strikers in the world. That to me is the best preparation he can get. What's interesting is that he's also linked to a Western Sydney bid and that, that decision's coming up this month. Yeah. And if his bid gets in, the word is that he will be involved quite heavily with uh, that bid. So that has ramifications on how long his contract would be at a new club, yeah. if there was a new club. Another interesting angle, I suppose, to the story is the, 
the Harry Kuehl connection in the sense that uh, the Turkish press have said that Kuehl will bring Neil to Gala. And I suppose what it says is that Kuehl is happy at Gala. There was a story that we ran in the magazine uh, last month about how he was being played all over the place and he wanted to make sure or ensure he was playing up front. And there was a little bit of discontent that you could read through the interview, but it seems as though through this story that, that he's, he's happy again, isn't he? Well, I think that's gone with the change of coach because he yeah. was very adamant that this was this particular coach when he came in that had been playing him all over the shop. But obviously Rijkaard's now going to be manager for next season. And so I think he would, he'd be fully aware of Harry Kuehl and, and where Harry Kuehl's best used on the on the park. And wouldn't Lucas want to play under Frank Reichardt? And I think is it I think Johan Nieskens as well. well yeah. Yeah. He's he got never got to Barcelona, link, hasn't he? Yeah. You know, because Nieskens was Reichardt's number two at Barcelona, and after the World Cup, there were big rumours mm. about had Nieskens recommended Neil to Barcelona, and the manager at the time was Reichardt. So mm. maybe the you know the, there's a link there as well between the coach, the incoming just, coach. Just going back to Lucas for one minute, I'm not just saying this because obviously I'm a West Ham fan but I think West Ham was a perfect club for Lucas Neal sort of you know ninth in the league so kind of a top 10 EPL side you know he's the captain there he's well respected he's, he's always going to get a starting spot they've got you know new coaches in you know who are doing a great job so you know I obviously can't comment on how happy he is you know at West Ham but it seems to be a perfect fit for him mm. so I think it'd be a shame to see him leave but isn't the issue that they're asking him to take a significant pay cut on what he's been on uh, well, it might, it, it. yeah it might come down to money again but I don't think the offer they gave him was as low as some media outlets were saying it was going to be you know half the amount so I don't think it's that um, but Lucas has found a way to almost kind of maximise his talents into a lot of money hasn't he because he, he got a Bosman rule into West Ham which means he got a massive wage because they weren't paying a transfer fee because um, it was only a two and a half year deal when he's moving on at 31 he's going to get that over again at another club because they know they're not going to pay a transfer fee mm. they can put more of their money towards his wages mm. so you know he's certainly found a way to, to maximise his earnings as a footballer What about the fans at West how do they feel about Lucas Neal? West Ham fans are unbelievably fickle and they're fickle about everything and particularly their players so I mean it's you know Lucas when he joined he came halfway through the season we were set to get relegated it was one of the main reasons we stayed up and then the following season it was kind of mid-table and he had a mediocre season and they didn't like him last season he had a really good season and they like him again so it just depends on how your form is in the last you know yeah. eight to ten games if they like you or not Moving on to the last news story from uh, our website this week, which is au.442.com, as uh, I get it right this week, um, is uh, another story by um, our good fellow Aidan Ormond, who's here. The, the second Sydney bid uh, for the A-League. It looks like they've lined up ANZ Stadium in a, in a bit of a coup. Um, obviously planning to have uh, many fans dressed up as empty seats. Uh, if that goes through. But tell us a little bit about that, Aidan. Well, no, I spoke to Joe Meisner on Sunday and uh, he confirmed that uh, they were changing their plans to, to, to play their bid out of ANZ rather than CUA, which is in Penrith. So we're talking about a fairly long distance between those two st- stadiums. It's the second Western Sydney bid that has come out and said we'll play at ANZ. Mm-hmm. And the main reason, or perhaps the only reason, is that ANZ have guaranteed that bid that they won't lose money. 
so it's a recession-busting deal. So the anti-Suncorp deal, basically. Yeah, it's basically everything that the Suncorp deal is, this isn't. This yeah. is actually going to make the club money. And I think when you're setting up a bid, uh, the bean counters, as we all know, the bean counters have a lot of sway these days. And I, and I think they've looked at it and gone, well, if we can't lose money on this, in fact, we may even make money on it. Let's not think of the fans here. Let's think of the bottom line. If you ask, if you look at our forums, pretty much, I think pretty much all fans have said that they don't want to uh, play a Western Sydney bid out of ANZ. Personally, I think Parramatta Stadium, which is yeah. the Lucas Neal bid, is almost ideal. Um, and there was an NSL team that was actually based at Parramatta Stadium about 10 years ago called Parramatta what, Power. What's, I mean, the, I, what's the underlying reason why they don't want to play? Because there's going to be so many empty seats or the, they just don't want to travel out to ANZ? I think, or? I think you only need to look at, you know, for once, let's look at Rugby League and learn some lessons from that. The clubs that have been enticed out to ANZ Stadium, by ANZ Stadium on the same promise as you won't lose money by being here, are now doing everything they possibly can to get back to their spiritual homes, you know, back to uh, to Leichhardt Oval and the like, because they feel that they're just losing any sort of identity by playing in front of a, an 80,000 capacity stadium with 10,000 people there, you know. And, it, and to me, that's not the advertisement for the game, you know, particularly for a start-up club. You know, starting-up club is, is not just about balancing the bottom line in season one. It's about creating an identity, creating something that supporters... You know, associate themselves with and taking supporters to a solar stadium and letting them rattle around in an 80,000 stadium just because it's going to mean you don't lose money. I'd question the bid if that's the difference between you bidding or not. Yeah. You know, I would look at, you know, go back to your business plan and look at how you're going to communicate with your, with your target audience and your catchment area because if you do that right, they will come and you should be able to make money at Paramount Stadium. Yeah, I think the reader reaction to this story was really interesting. If you read all the comments underneath, you know, Aidan's story, you know, no one wanted to go there, and everyone felt that it takes that community feel out of it. If you're going to ANZ, and there's a comment in there, you know, that how you know they're guaranteed they're not going to have to pay to be at ANZ, but they have to pay for Parramatta, and the fans don't like those kind of comments because I know it's you know they look at it from a business side, but the fans don't care about that. They want their own community team. But then was, why, why play games in Christ? Why have Wellington play a game in Christchurch? And why are they playing a couple of games out out west with Sydney FC? I mean, it seems as though that's what they're doing this year, isn't it? With with teams packing up their bags and travelling around, it seems as though that that's what they're keen on. Well, the I think they're keen on doing. I think that's uh, that's just like a promotional tool. I mean, that the spiritual home of Sydney FC has always been uh, Sydney Football Stadium. Mm-hmm. I think also just this ANZ Stadium. If I was a Western Sydney person uh, who wanted to support his football team, and I lived in Penrith or Blacktown, whatever, going to ANZ Stadium, I might as well go to Sydney Football Stadium. I mean, it's it's virtually in the centre of Sydney. It's not the west of Sydney, so. Um, uh, I think from a fan's point of view, they've got a, they've got a good point. And also, Parramatta Stadium, 20,000 all-seater. It's perfect. It's perfect. You know, 10,000 regular stadium. fans. Rectangular, you know, exactly. It's, uh, to me, it's, and I know parking's dodgy there, but, you know. I think the other thing as well, you know, let, let's... We constantly talk about let's look overseas and what we're doing from a coaching perspective and whatever. Let's look at places like the MLS 
that went through this. You know, they started playing at, at American football stadiums and very much realised, very quickly realised that this was could be the death of the clubs and the clubs needed to get their own stadiums, their own identity. I'm not saying we go down that route yet, but that's got to be the aim is is ultimately to have every Premier, every A League team playing at their own purpose built football stadium. You know, and it's going to be great when Melbourne get theirs. You know, and that that's got to be the objective because. Um, that then gets over anything like you know clashes with rugby league games or playing on you know, inferior surfaces two or three days after it's been churned up by a rugby league or Super 14 game and that's got to be the objective and I think moving to a ground that you're going to be sharing with five or six rugby league teams an AFL team when Sydney Sydney Swans play One's out cricket there. I think as well yeah you know it's the, if you're a fan of that new team like yeah. someone said where's your home ground you, I think your immediate reaction would be we don't have one mm. we play mm. at ANZ mm. Stadium we yeah. don't have a home ground yeah. yeah, and I think also ANZ's good for maybe a grand final a big Sydney yeah. grand final if it was West Sydney versus Sydney FC at ANZ no problem yeah. but Parramatta I think is the perfect and that's the Lucas Neal Paddy Dominguez bid they've targeted that stadium so good luck to them well guys we've uh, we've run over time a bit all your fantastic insight into all the news stories of the week I'm going to make an executive decision as uh, the pod father and we're going to leave out the uh, funnies for this week there's guys, oh. guys cheering and guys holding their heads. Uh, but we're going to move on and we're going to take a break. And after the break, we're going to be looking at the uh, Socceroos starting 11. Making your power of attorney can be daunting and very confusing. What kind of power of attorney do you need? How do you do it? Who can witness it? The Australian Power of Attorney Kit explains the different powers of attorney easily and in plain English. So you'll find it very easy to understand. The Power of Attorney Kit provides step-by-step instructions on how to fill out the Power of Attorney form of your choice. And we have a very special offer for you right now. When you buy the Australian Power of Attorney Kit, we'll include all the forms you need for whichever Power of Attorney you choose to make. A Power of Attorney is a legal document that allows another person to make decisions for you only in the event you cannot make decisions for yourself. The Australian Power of Attorney Kit is only $29.95 plus postage and handling. Order online at australianpowerofattorney.com.au or call us today. Here's how to order. Call 1-800-200-109. That's 1-800-200-109. Write the number down. 1-800-200-109. Call now. Back to 442 Insider. Welcome back to 442 Insider. And at 442, we're always the first to utilise new technology. And we've gone back to the video replay, watching Andy Jackson hold his uh, head in his hands so spectacularly. We're going to make an exception and let him tell everyone he's funny for the week. So, Andy, you, you've got the com. I was gutted because I had actually spent five or six minutes preparing for this. <laughs> and given that you can't turn anywhere at the moment without Michael Jackson... Uh, tributes and you know, memories and anecdotes I thought I, I was just going to search for what's Michael Jackson's involvement in football and there is he has got an involvement in football he's an honorary director of Exeter City thanks to his, uh, his relationship with, uh, with Yuri Geller and also then I found video not a relationship in that way um, <laughs> then I found video which I watched of, uh, of April 1999 Fulham versus Wigan at Craven Cottage where Michael Jackson was on the pitch beforehand and I'm guessing that was as a, a guest of uh, Mohamed Al-Fayed the Harrods owner um, so then I, I, I resisted the temptation to watch the whole game but apparently it was a thriller 
Um, Fulham's <laughs> defence was a little bit too high to get over. Wigan were really, really bad. I mean, Fulham's first goal was a, a free kick that took a deflection off the wall. Um, the second goal was a disputed penalty, but it looked pretty black and white to me. It's fantastic. And apparently the, ha- the, the half-time team talk, uh, Jacko implored them to all look at the man in the mirror after a bad uh, performance. Anyway, moving swiftly on. I told you it was with uh, inverted commas, the, uh, the funny. Um, now we're going to go back to, to football and with a year to go before the World Cup, we're going to have a look at our Socceroo starting eleven. Now, uh, Trevor put a call out to all of our website readers to give us their thoughts on who they think should be in the starting eleven. So, any yeah. interesting comments to start off with, Trev? Some interesting posts. I thought there was a few themes that run, run through everyone's formation. Were they Michael Jackson themes? No, unfortunately not. They're not as good at us at doing that. But yeah, um, I'll be starting something. <laughs> Um, Defence-wise, you know, out of the kind of the goalkeeper and, and the back four, it was pretty much considered that obviously Schwarzer, Wilkshire on the right, and then Neil and Chipperfield. But the main, one of the main discussing points was who was going to partner Neil at the back, and people, Coyne, Williams, Milligan, Spiranovic, all seemed to pop up. Um, and a lot of the midfield kind of takes care of itself because you expect, you know, Emerton and Kalina, Bresciano, Cahill, um, Kuehl w- would be there. Um, you know... MK0825, that catchy username. Yeah. Um, he, he's gone for Spranovic at the back, um, and then, you know, the, the usual suspects with him, and then got Grella, Emerton, Cleaner, Bresch. But up front, <laughs> the two main strikers, Cahill and Kuehl, so he doesn't, you know, concede it. You know, possible to have any strikers on the pitch at all, just pushing two two midfielders up, really. But the the one person that I, th- I think I agreed with the most, and I think this is a, a fairly decent team, is quite Trev's attacking. mum username? No, 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 she hasn't. We didn't buy her she a computer. Okay. Um, I'm no freak. He <laughs> he goes for um, Schwarzer and then Edmonton at right back, Neil Moore, Chipperfield. And then he's got kind of Colleen in the defensive midfield role. Bresh, Cahill, Kuehl in front as a three. And then Kennedy and McDonald up front. And that is quite attacking. But at least it's a little bit different to what everyone else It is quite attacking. But I think we've, you know, the last few weeks we've agreed that that Pim is going to play 4-2-3-1. Yeah, but I mean, these are other people if if they could take it out of that. So okay, going on to formation, that one's the pre that that one's the easy discussion point. Everyone's pretty much agreed that he's going to play that four through two, four two three one. Any uh, dissenters in the room on that one? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I think it's the, I think he's picked the right formation for the balance of the squad. You know, we're all here talking about the fact that Australia don't have any real obvious choices by Viduka for front yet. So and then questioning whether we should be playing two up front. Yeah. Arguably, our strength is in players like Cahill and Kuehl who operate in that area behind sort of defensive midfield and, and the striker. So I think he, he's picked the right formation for the squad. OK, so goalkeeper picks itself, Mark Schwartz. Yeah. Um, Wiltshire right Wiltshire back. Wiltshire for me, right back. OK. Neil you'd have next to him and then it's, it's picking Neil's partner. That's the discussion point. Who, who uh, are for me. Well, I think, I think a, lot, a lot depends on what happens with Spiranovic over the next 12 months. If he plays regularly um, at club level, then I would be picking him ahead of Moore. If he doesn't, if he gets injured again, then that's where the, the rub is with Moore and, and Spiranovic or possiby Jade North as, as a backup to those as an alternative. I think on the forum's blast bum, uh, <laughs> one of the forum users mentioned that as, as an alternative. Um, Jade has done really well when mm. he's come in, but is he 
Is he the first choice? No, I think for me it would be ideally Spiranovic. I think central defence is a tough one as well because I think it's very much about partnerships and about playing as a unit. And I think that there's not a lot of time to experiment with that. That that's the basis on which they're going to you know go and try and not concede at the World Cup. So he's either got to experiment early with Spiranovic or say to Moore, right, you're the guy. You're going to for, you know you're going to spend the next six months perfecting the the partnership of Neil Schwartzer, Wiltshire, and Chipperfield as a back four. So it's a tough one. I think it might come a season too early for for Matthew Spiranovic. Um, I think he will obviously certainly be in the squad, um, but I think to, to force his way into the starting lineup, I think it might be a little bit too much for him to do in one season. But as you know, you know Craig Moore could get injured, Tiranovic could get injured. You know, mm. so left back, Chipfield. Chipfield is easy. Yeah. Um, moving on to the midfield, you got your two defensive um, midfielders. I think Grella and Kalina. Jednet um, would have to have a really good season in Turkey mm-hmm. to, to push one of those two out. So I think those two yeah. pick themselves. But Jednet's a great uh, fullback, and maybe Carl Valeri as well pushing oh, pushing for a yeah. spot. Valeri, yeah. Those four are, are, yeah. are, are a good base to work from, aren't yeah. they? And perhaps even if he has a good season, James Holland in in, in Holland yeah. um, is a future holding midfielder. I think. Then we've got the uh, the other midfielders, the the kind of threesome who like to push forward. Yeah. That's where we're spoiled, isn't it? It's these three players. I mean, I'd say Kuehl, Cahill, and if it for me, Emerton would get yeah. the nod just ahead of, of no Bresciano, simply for for his coverage of that flank. You know, Emerton is fit enough to get back and get forwards. I think you know his his delivery on crosses, as we saw in the earlier World Cup mm. qualifiers, particularly as I'm playing Kennedy up front. Um, that would just get in the nod but in terms of players unlucky to miss out Bresciano would be the one but yeah. I think the alternative there is to play Emo at right back and play Bresci in his position yeah. in which case you've got a bit of a fallback mm-hmm. if you if you wanted to push Emo up so I think that's a, an alternative but I agree I think Emo should always start well, if he's fit what I'd actually do is I'd drop Grella out and I'd put Emerton in that position in the defensive midfield position have Bresch on the right hand side of that those kind of three attacking midfielders but kind of give Emerton the licence to get up that right flank and Bresch to push in more central where he, he can be a threat and I think that incorporates you know the best players available to us It's interesting Interesting up, One guy up front Who's the who's who's getting your Kennedy nod? for me soon because I don't think McDonald has proven that he doesn't suit that that lone striker role. Did you say uh, Madonna? No, McDonald. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I think for me, like then you've got McDonald on the bench, so your flexibility comes with if you're chasing a game, you move to a four-four-two, yeah. yeah. and you throw McDonald up front with Kennedy. But I think Cahill will get forward to support Kennedy in that system anyway. Uh, well, I think it depends on who Viduka plays for this season. If he has a good season, I think you have to pick Viduka first. He who shall not be named. That's like right. We did put you were in last week. We did put a ban on ever on mentioning Viduka in okay, the Socceroos breath until he's playing, got a club and scoring. I, I think he's too valuable. If he was playing regularly, he is too valuable to the system. He basically the system is built around him. Exactly. I, I think. It's, so, it's one of those ones. That's a system he can just walk into. It's not like they're playing yeah. differently and they'd have to change everything yeah. for him. And he, has, he, has, he has a good season, even in the championship. And he probably would walk as well, wouldn't he? Wouldn't be much running. He's too. Yeah. And then after that, it'll be Kennedy for the next two World Cup campaigns. 
Well, guys, that's uh, that's fantastic. I think we've uh, solved Pim's job for him. He can go and sit on a beach for the next 12 months and uh, just listen to our podcast before the um, World Cup warm-ups. It's time for another break. But when we come back, we'll be looking at why you've probably got better job prospects at General Motors now than you have as an A-lead coach. We're going to be looking at the uh, coaching hot seat. So... Uh, don't touch that dial and we'll see you very soon. Cheers. Goldrick Farrell solicitors are here to help all sporting people, whether individuals, clubs or corporates, right across every code of sport in Australia and around the world. Goldrick Farrell solicitors offer professional advice from their lawyers and sports consultants. Whether it's negotiating or renewing contracts or securing the best arrangements for your personal, business or property interests, Goldrick Farrell solicitors have the team for you. Contact partner Barry Milan now on 0292 677311 or visit www.gfm.com.au Want to bet on the soccer? Come to betfair.com Betfair punters bet against each other yep, yep, yep. Uh-huh. to get better odds yep. and bigger yep. wins So join the world's biggest online betting community betfair.com Betting as it should be Promotional code PRT888. I just don't know what's wrong with some tradies today. Look at the vehicles they drive. More show than anything, and certainly not tough. I reckon some tradies have even gone soft. For real, fair income tough tradies, there's only one choice, Mahindra. Mahindra's range of 4x2 and 4x4 workhorse pickups and cab chassis know how to get the job done. And they won't cost an arm and a leg, starting at 19990 drive away. Visit your local dealer for a test drive today or visit mahindrapickup.com.au. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Welcome back to 442 Insider. And in our last segment uh, of the week, we're going to be looking at the A-League coaching hot seat. We did a bit of number crunching over the week and found out that the average life expectancy of an A-League coach is just 12 and a half games. In Vietnam, it was 19. (laughs) So yes, you can go to Vietnam and coach for longer than in the A-League. not very long, is it, guys? When you think about it, twelve and a half games—it's just over half, half a season. season. I think, I think that stat says a lot about Ernie Merrick and Melbourne Victory—that stability means everything in, in, in football. Mm. How, how much is Sydney responsible for that statistic being the way it is? Probably. That actually, really surprised me because, to be honest, I think A League coaches have it fairly easy mm. um, because because the, the league's still developing and what have you. There's not as much pressure on them and I don't think the media applies as much pressure as you would get you know coaching any any sort of European league Um, so for them to have that short lifespan I don't think that's because you know they've got really high expectations I just think there's a natural turnover at the moment I mean there's a degree of pressure but you know there's no pressure of being relegated Mm. no that's the big pressure in the Premier League is keeping your team up or La Liga Um, I think you know people like Perth have been responsible for a fair few of those Mm. you know the Ron Smith, Steve McMahon, oh. Alan Vest for a while. Dave Mitchell. Dave Mitchell. There might have been somebody else in there. I, I, think one of the, I think one of the issues is the fact that we've seen time and time again, coaches come in and inherit a squad. And because of the salary cap and the squad player limits, they've not been able to really sort of put their own players in. They maybe have one or two players. Certainly we saw that with Branco when he took over at Sydney, inherited a squad from Terry Butcher. Butcher inherited Litbarski's squad and then Dwight York was sold from underneath him and had no time to get anyone else in. So I think that's a major issue and what that's why I think someone like Ernie Merrick is really the sort of benchmark because he's built his own team. 
you know, and he now recruits players based on the way he wants to play rather than what's happened a lot in the A-League is coaches have come into an inherited squad and have had to try and get players that maybe aren't suited to the way they want to play either play in their way or have to change the way they, they would normally want a team to play to suit the players mm. and that certainly seemed to be the case with Cozzy last year at Sydney and that he was chopping and changing his formation and never really felt like he either got a system that the players were comfortable with or the players were able to play the way he wanted his team to play and he, he sort of ended up in between and, and got results in some games and then mm. didn't in others. Mm. What do we think of the standard of coaching? I mean, like, the A-League is a nurturing league for players. It's developmental, it's helping players develop. Are we treating our coaches too much like the finished product? You know, are they the finished product or, or you know, should we be helping to nurture the coaches just as much as we do the players? Well, I think the National Youth League is really key to that. I think you were talking before about Craig Deans, I think up in Newcastle. There's, there's a number of coaches in the National Youth League who I think can, can, can be there and learn and develop. And so that's the great thing about the NYL. Before that, it was, well, who's the best coach for the job now rather than who can we develop as a coach? Mm. And then the Newcastle episode this week was a good example of that. It's ended up going to Branco, who's been a previous coach, but they also mentioned, you know, Cozzy and you know, other people that coach and it's almost well, like mentioned Cozzy. That's you know, is that the pool of coaches that we're looking at for the A League? Is you know, when when one leaves, another one that's already had a crack with the team before gets the job. You know, that, I think we've got to widen that net. That's but, absolutely. I spoke to a state league coach who's a former Socceroo who said exactly those same words. That if you're outside of the this little loop of players and coaches in the A League, mm. you can't get in because you're playing, you're coaching at state league level. No one watches you. No one sees what's going on. And this guy who I spoke to should be coaching in the A-League because he's good enough. I also think we need, you know, they need to widen the net further than just Australia. You know, and I, I, I hope that um, Levitska is a success at Sydney for no other reason other than the fact that I think it will open up some club owners and CEOs mind to say right we need to potentially look further afield just as we do with our marquee player recruitment to look further afield with our with our coach recruitment and bring in other ideas you know from for that the players will respond to because the other thing is is that these players have been coached by coaches that they've been coached by before and and are they really been challenged continually challenged and learning things and certainly the impression I get coming out of Sydney at the moment is that you know, they're, they're cert- they certainly know that they're being coached in a in a different way and, and a, a higher intensity than they probably have in the last two or three years. I agree. I think thinking outside of the box. I mean, magazine publishers, for example, could they coach in the A League if they've got a coaching badge? <laughs> Absolutely. I know. I know one in this room who could uh, give it a good go. I reckon. Yeah, but I'd, I'd do all right. I reckon. <laughs> I reckon Trev would have a crack. Absolutely. Well, he's radical soccer formation. It's, a, it's definitely a star. <laughs> There's a, another point I wanted to make. It's not actually my point. It's the online editor Kevin Ayres the point he made in, in, a, in a blog once and he was saying that it's quite restrictive in terms of like players in the A-League there's the, you know there's the the structure that you have to be under the salary cap and what have you but obviously the coach doesn't work under that so there's a potential to get in a really really top class coach and pay you know if, if the money's there they'll come because the lifestyle and everything else is there you know for example Clive Palmer at Gold Coast you know has a lot of money to get a really world-class coach from somewhere in Europe and you know no disrespect to Miron because Miron deserves the opportunity to see how he does there but potentially you know 
Clive could go out and get someone really, really good. And I don't think, you know, Kevin was saying that hasn't really been exploited. People haven't spent the big money like they're allowed to on getting a top top class coaching. What would happen just so, if you bought someone in as a player coach? Salary cap or not? Mm, that might be interesting. That's easy. Because yeah, yeah nice. you, if you bought someone like let's say a, a Roy Keenan as a as player coach, someone that's still able to play at A League standard, so like but a, as, as the marquee. Well, no, as the coach. But he plays. Is that outside the salary cap or not? Question. Question. Let's find out. Let's Let's get someone from the FFA on the phone. Archie Fraser, you need to answer this question. Going going back to the comparison with the players, obviously when a player does well and they progress, they go over to Europe. Why are we not seeing the same thing happen with coaches? Why aren't there many Australian coaches who go overseas to Europe and, and, and get a lot of success? I think it's simple. You, you need to have a pedigree to, to coach in Europe and, and to win the A-League, no disrespect, is no, doesn't give you the credibility. I think what we have now is p- the potential for Aussie coaches to coach in Asia. Now that we're playing in the ACL, they're getting exposed. Particularly, there's a lot of talk about Aurelio Vidmar perhaps getting a coaching job in Japan. So I think I think you'll see a lot of coaches perhaps moving that way rather than that way. Well, in Asia, certainly, as we've seen with, with players as well, now Asia, Australia is firmly on Asian clubs, right? and that that will now go for coaches as well as players you know I I think if you look at England there's not many English coaches applying their trade outside of England Mm. probably Stephen McLaren's the only one that that comes to mind and I also think you know these guys are not earning the wages that that coaches are earning in Europe and therefore to move they, they wouldn't be moving to a Premier League team they'd be moving lower down and then you've got issues of uprooting your family and, and moving your family for something that might be pretty short term we're talking about 12 and a half games in the A-League you know what would they get overseas so I think it's a, it's a bigger decision than just are these guys challenging themselves enough but it's certainly one I think the Asian route I'd love to see an Australian coach go and challenge themselves in the J-League or the K-League and I think that will happen sooner rather than later and there are Aussie coaches already coaching in Asia who've yeah. been there for many years so yeah. there's a, a track record there going back to that 12.5 figure um, not very not very long for, for a coach to be coaching who do you think a quick poll around the table who do you think wasn't given enough time in their position in, in the history of the A-League who, who do you think should have been given more time to do a good job I think he could have been given more time but uh, the the, the the structure of the club wanted Cozzy in, so I think Branko was hard done by. Yeah. That was one that came yeah, to I'd the agree with that. Yeah. Anyone else? Um, I mean, you, you'd probably say on results, Litbarski, although there were other issues in terms of the package and the bonus structure and whatever, but you know, it's rare that a championship winning coach isn't there the following season to defend the title, you know, and you sort mm. of think what would have happened had Litbarski continued with Sydney FC, you know, would he have taken them on? It's, you know, we don't know but um, but certainly it's rare that a coach has success like that and then isn't there the next season so best and worst coach in A-League history come on boys put yourself on the line here who's the first there's only one for me the, the best best, 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 best coach Ernie Merrick Ernie. I think without Ernie doubt. by a long way I reckon yeah. Yeah. worst for me Steve, Steve McMahon Steve McMahon simply because as, as an Englishman living in Australia he just perpetuated the whinging pom 
sort of uh, perception of English people here. He was miserable. He, you know, to say that he was the co- inaugural coach of an A-League team and knew what was going on with football here, you know, he didn't. He, he didn't look like he wanted to be here. Mm. You know, and also, who can forgive him for playing his son in midfield? You know, probably the worst player to ever play in the A-League. You know, <laughs> Steve McMahon Jr. Says it all really. <laughs> Anyone else? Any any takers over and above uh, I, Steve McMahon? I think in New Zealand, I think they had uh, a coach called Paul Nevin, who was actually a staff coach at Fulham, and I think was a decent coach, but never got to grips like Steve McMahon. Never another Englishman, unfortunately, never got to grips with coaching in the in the A League. And uh, but I think I would definitely go for Steve, Steve McMahon as the worst. Uh, I think possibly he'll go down in history as the worst ever coach in the A-League. I'm I'm thinking that now. Because we have raised the standard of coaching, I think, since Mm. then. Well, Steve, if you want to be a guest on the podcast, (laughs) he's a a pundit in in Asia these days. So so, um, maybe we'll get him on the phone for next week and we can have a chat with him. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks very much for joining us on the 442 Insider Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to us on the interpipe on au.442.com or subscribe to us through iTunes. Thanks very much for listening. Listening and don't forget to check back with us next week. Goodbye. 442 Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production. Visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services.